0: Hello and welcome to our video summarising all you need to know about language and gender theories. This video is especially useful if you are studying this either for your A-levels or for university and further education as we will delve into the different theories around whether or not different genders use language in a slightly different way. So firstly, the major question is, is there a difference in how women and men use language? This is a huge question in linguistics, whether being female or male affects a person's language or whether it's merely the attitude towards people's gender that makes us think there is a difference. Researchers have developed theories around this. Now, the theories tend to sit under two different scopes. You either have the dominance theories or the difference theories. So going into this a little bit, studies of language and gender often make use of two models or paradigms, that of dominance and difference. Now, the dominance approach proposes that men are naturally more dominant than women. This could be through speech patterns or behaviour towards or around women. This theory also states that women act in a less dominant way around men, meaning it's not only men who take part in asserting the dominance, women also play a part by acquiescing, accepting this dominance. However, Difference approach, so theories that fall under the difference umbrella support the idea that male and female individual lifestyles are often presented as being different. To simply put, in communications and other interactions, men are fundamentally different from women in the modes of communication, thus they use language for different outcomes. Now, looking specifically at theories, and of course, the first we'll start off with is Otto Jespersen. Uh, he postulated this theory very early on in 1922. And he theorized that women talk a lot and use half-finished sentences as they speak before they have thought about what they will say. He also believed that women in their language link sentences with and, because they are emotional rather than grammatical. Women also use adjectives such as pretty and nice very often and they're often fond of saying so pretty and so nice, so obviously being an intensifier. Uh, From his perspective, women use adverbs frequently and tend towards hyperbole, so over-exaggerating their expressions. He also believed that women have a smaller vocabulary than men. The words they use are the indispensable small change of language according to his own words. And women know their smaller vocabulary so well that they are more fluent in speaking and less hesitant than men who are searching for the precise words in their large vocabularies. He also theorised that novels written by women are easier to read as they use simpler words and terminology. Women often gain spoken mastery of foreign languages more easily than men, but when put to the test in translating a difficult text, men prove superior." also women by virtue of the gender shrink from coarse and gross expressions according to him and he also further added that women had a preference for veiled and indirect expressions which preclude them from being as effective as men and women from his perspective had a debilitating, in other words, a negative effect upon the language and it was reasonable for men, certainly with great justice, to object that there is a danger of the language becoming languid and insipid if we are to content ourselves with women's expressions. In other words, women's language needs to be policed otherwise it's going to deteriorate the quality of English. And so from his perspective men are responsible for introducing new words into the language. You don't have to agree with this theory but you do have to consider it in any kind of discussion around theoretical approaches to language and gender. Another really important theorist who uh, really falls we could argue under the dominance model is Robin Lakoff and her theory was first postulated in 1975. And she argued that language is fundamental to gender inequality and it could contribute to the lack of women's power in two areas language used about women and the language used by women. And Lakoff claimed that there were certain features of women's language that gave their impression that women are weaker and less certain than men are. And she observed the following things number one, women speak less frequently. Secondly, they show their listening by using minimal responses such as mm and yeah. They speak more quietly than men and tend to use the higher pitch range of their voices. They also use hypercorrect grammar and pronunciation, so standard English and clear enunciation. They use a greater range of intonation and speak in italics using so, very quiet. She also uh, observed, from her perspective at least, that women use question intonation in declarative sentences. Uh, women make declarative statements into questions by raising the pitch of their voice at the end of the statement, expressing uncertainties. Uh, for example, I think I should do this. This is a declarative statement. Uh, or, I'm drinking water. Again, a declarative statement, but it ends with a high intonation, perhaps to some degree implying some form of uncertainty. From Lacoste's perspective, women also overuse qualifiers. For example, I think that. They hedge using phrases like sort of, kind of, it seems like. They use super polite forms. Would you mind? I'd appreciate it if, or if you don't mind. They apologise more, for instance. I'm sorry, but I think that. They use tag questions. You're going to dinner, aren't you? They have a special lexicon. For example, women use more words for colours, men more for sports. They also use empty adjectives such as divine, lovely, adorable, and make more emotional evaluations rather than intellectual evaluations. For example, great, wonderful, fantastic. They use more intensifiers, especially intensifiers like so and very, for instance. I'm so glad you came. They also use more adjectives to describe approximate amounts around, about, and they use euphemisms more than men. She also found that women use diminutives more than men. They use reduplicated forms such as itsy bitsy and teeny weeny. They use direct quotations. Men paraphrase more often. They use WH imperatives such as, why don't you open the door? They use modal constructions such as can, would, should, ought. Should we turn up the heat? Or would you like to just pass me that cup? They use indirect commands and requests. For example, my, isn't it cold in here? as an indirect way of asking to close a window. They avoid slang and coarse language or expletives, saying, oh dear, rather than bleep. (laughs) And uh, they avoid making threats, using aggressive language and insults. And they lack a sense of humour. Women don't tell jokes well and they don't understand the punchline of jokes. By the way, if you're finding this video useful, we would really appreciate it if you subscribe to our channel and also give this video a thumbs up as it really ha- helps our content to be found by other students who are seeking similar material. Now going back to some of the other theorists, uh, another really, really important um, pair of theorists are William O'Barr and Bowman Atkins who Put forward a really interesting study which actually in some ways falls under the difference model but equally it doesn't squarely fit very comfortably into the dominance and difference model when you're considering how men and women use language. So O'Barr and Atkins are known for developing the idea that language differences are more situation specific relying on who has the authority and power in the conversation rather than the gender of the people involved. Their theory really challenged Lakoff's ideas that variants in speech were due to gender. What they did is they studied courtroom cases for 30 months, observing a broad spectrum of witnesses and examining them for 10 basic speech differences between men and women that Lakoff proposed. These differences or women's language components consisted of things like hedges, empty adjectives, super polite forms, apologising more, speaking less frequently, avoiding coarse language or expletives, tag questions, hypercorrect grammar, punctuation, indirect requests and using tone to emphasise certain words. And they found that lack of proposed differences were actually not the result of being a woman but actually they reflected more the powerlessness of the speaker. Uh, now going into how they found this, they used a sets of three men and three women to prove this, who they studied. The first man and the first woman, the pair, both spoke with a high frequency of what we would call women's language components. So things like adject- empty adjectives, hedges and so on. The woman was a 68-year-old housewife and the man drove an ambulance, suggesting perhaps stereotypically that power and control would perhaps be lacking from their lives. The other pair that they studied was a doctor and a policeman who both testified as expert witnesses in the case at hand suggesting that the power they experienced in the jobs and lives meant that they had less components of women and women's language another pair that they looked at a man and a woman fell really between the first two pairs and the frequency of hedges and tag questions in the speech what lack of saw as women's language components and from this study, they made some really, really important and interesting discoveries. And they essentially concluded that the speech patterns were neither characteristic of all women nor limited to them. So what Lakoff essentially noted from our previous uh, slides, whereby, you know, women have these specific things that, you find more according to their gender, actually, Obar and Atkins found men of a certain class or a certain status also exhibited the same speech patterns, but also conversely, women who were very powerful in a very high social status did not necessarily exhibit all the different components within the language that Lakoff said all women do. So according to the researchers, the women who used the lowest frequency of women's language traits had an unusually high status. They were really well-educated professionals with middle-class backgrounds, And a corresponding pattern was noted among the men who spoke with low frequency of women's language traits. In other words, of course, these men were also quite powerful, very high flying individuals. So O'Barr and Atkins tried to emphasise that a powerful position may derive from either social standing in larger society and or status accorded by the court. So really, it's not gender that changes one's communication patterns. It's more the social status and the power that they have within society that determines how they communicate uh zimmerman west who put forward a theory in 1975 is uh they essentially fall into squarely the dominance model idea uh this is a theory that in mixed sex conversations women are more likely to interrupt men are in other words sorry are more likely to interrupt conversations than women Zimmerman West used a fairly small sample of conversations which they recorded at the Santa Barbara campus of the University of California in 1975. The students, or rather the subjects of the recording were white, middle class and under 35, so of course already you can see some limitations in the applicability of how these people that they studied use language and whether this really represents the wider demographic of people that they are describing. So Zimmerman West produced as evidence 31 segments of conversation and they reported that in 11 conversations between men and women, men used 46 interruptions but women only two. And from this small sample, they concluded that since men interrupt more often, then they are dominant. Esther Grief is another theorist you need to be aware of, and she put forward her theory in 1980. Uh, she examined gender differences in the use of two conversational management techniques, interruptions and simultaneous speech, during conversations between parents and preschool children. So these are children who are between the ages of zero months all the way up to, let's say, between four to five years old. Participants were 16 children, ages two to five, and both the parents. Each parent-child pair engaged in fairly semi-structured play for about 30 minutes and grief observed them. What she found is that there were no significant differences between boys and girls in the use of these two conversational techniques. However, she found that fathers interrupted more and spoke simultaneously more than mothers did. And both parents were more likely to interrupt the daughters and to speak simultaneously with the daughters. Results were discussed in relation to the power differences between men and women and her study has been used to support the dominance model. In other words, what this study might show is very early on in children's lives, women are socialized into speaking less and, being, and accepting being interrupted more, whilst obviously the opposite is true for men. Jeffrey Beattie in 1982 himself claims to have recorded around 10 hours of tutorial discussion between men and women and he noted 557 interruptions compared with 55 recorded by Zimmerman and West. BT found that men and women interrupted with more or less equal frequency. So, from his, uh, from what he found in his study, men interrupted three point four or thirty-four point one times, and women thirty-three point eight times. So, men did interrupt more, but by a margin so slight as not to be statistically significant. So, in many ways, this study by BT actually does refute Zimmerman West's finding and also it's significant that BT had a much larger sample group and so this led BT to become very critical of Zimmerman West's findings and BT stated that the problem is that you might study a uh, is is what you might study uh, might have one very voluble man so in other words a very vocal man in the study which has a disproportionate effect on the total so in other words BT was saying the sample was so small that it just takes you know a very few number of men within this sample that Zimmerman and West looked at to be exceptionally um, interruptive when it comes to conversations as to make it appear that men generally interrupted more but actually it's a representative of a tiny group of men within that sample. Dell Spender is another important theorist you need to be aware of and Spender, Spender advocates a radical view of languages and structures that sustain male power. So her work has a very strong feminist aspect and she refers to the work of Zimmerman and West to the view that uh, that which views male as the norm and to her own idea of the patriarchal order. She claims that it's difficult to challenge this power system since the way we think of the world is part of and reinforces this male power. In Del Spender's words she states that the crux of our difficulties lie in being able to identify and transform the rules which govern our behaviour and which, being patriarchal, which bring patriarchal order into existence. Yet, the tools we have for doing this are part of that patriarchal order. While we can modify, we must nonetheless use the only language which is at our disposal. But that very language and the conditions for its use in turn structure a patriarchal order. Pamela Fishman argued that conversation between the sexes sometimes fails not because of anything inherent in the way women talk but because of how men respond or don't respond so her memorable phrase for the work that women do to keep a conversation going is I won't read it but you can certainly use it in your writing and Fishman questions Lacoste's view that asking questions shows women's insecurity and hesitancy, hesitancy in communication Fishman looks at questions as an attribute of interactions. Women are asked questions because of the power of these, not because of the personality weaknesses. And Fishman also claims that in mixed-sex language interactions, men speak on average for twice as long as women. Jennifer Coates uh, leans more in support of the difference model, and she theorizes that girls and boys develop different styles of speaking, due to their largely different interactions in their all boys or all girl friendship groups. On the one hand, she believes that girls and boys tend to belong to the same sex groups, where they will sit apart from one another and generally avoid confrontation, and when it is required, it is often antagonistic. It's been observed that the peer group of a child is directly influential upon their sociolinguistic development and gender is the main principle with girls being encouraged to be typical girls and boys being encouraged to be typical boys. So Coates acknowledges the tendency of girls to stick to playing in smaller groups, maybe with just one or two other girls where their relationship is based predominantly on talk, whereas boys will adhere to play in larger hierarchical groups, which are based on joint activity, for example sports, where there's often an undisputed boss. Two other theorists whom Coates mentions in her own theory are Daniel Marks and Ruth Berker, who put forward the idea that boys and girls both acquire different purposes of speaking. They theorise that girls learn to do the following three things. Firstly, create and maintain relationships of closeness and equality. Secondly, criticize others in acceptable ways. And thirdly, interpret accurately, accurately the speech of other girls. Boys, on the other hand, are more inclined to do the following three things when speaking. Number one, to assert a position of dominance. Number two, to attract and maintain an audience. And number three, to assert themselves when another speaker has the floor. Deborah Tannen is perhaps most famous and most prevalent difference theorist. She postulated her theory in 1990 and she believes the difference between how women and men talk and communicate starts in childhood where parents use more words about feelings to girls and use more verbs to boys. So men and women belong to different subcultures and thus speak differently. And she said that there are six main differences between the ways men and women use language. So firstly, it's status versus support. So whilst men see language as a means of asserting dominance, women see it as a way of confirming or supporting their ideas. Number two, independence versus intimacy. Men rather go it alone, whilst women seek support. Number three, advice versus understanding. So men see language as a problem solving, whilst women see it as a means of empathy. Number four, information versus feelings. So men are concerned with the facts, whilst women with emotions. Number five, orders versus proposals. So men use imperatives, female use hidden directives. And number six, conflict versus compromise. So men will argue while women will try to find a middle ground. Tannen also said of women and men that on the one hand, women talk too much, speak in private context, build relations, overlap and speak symmetrically. Whilst men get more airtime, speak in public, negotiate status and avoid failure, speak one time and speak asymmetrically. Janet Holmes also argued that tag questions rather than showing uncertainty could function as a device to help maintain discussions or to be polite and include others into a conversation. And she argued against lack of theory that hedges and fillers, which are used for a variety of functions, don't simply show indecision or a lack of power. Jane Pilkington found that women in same-sex talk were more collaborative than men were in all-male talk and she concluded that women aimed for more positive politeness, strategies and conversations with other women but men tended to be less complimentary and supportive and of course Pilkington really served to support Deborah Tannen. So that's it. Thank you so much for watching. I hope you found this useful and of course do visit our website www.firstraetutors.com where from time to time, we do tend to have useful model answers. Thank you so much for listening.